You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Would you pray with me as we head into God's Word, and uh, we'll see what Jesus has for us today. Father, we come before you. Help us to be present to your Holy Spirit. Help us to, to, to see with fresh eyes. Help us to take your ancient text and make it alive. Would your Holy Spirit do that in us? That we would be convicted, that we would be challenged, and ultimately that we would be comforted today as we dive into your life-giving, nourishing word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're in it. Four weeks, I think, out of six. I'm not sure. I feel like I've been thinking about hunger a lot. I try to practice what I preach. I've been hungry. I've been very hungry. And so, because we're just trying to figure out what hunger is. This is that season. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. I would love to try to answer them. If you have answers to questions, feel free to send them. Anything. I'll take it. Try to make this more of a dialogue rather than a monologue. But we're in this season, this Christian season called Lent. You've heard it, probably heard it. Mostly our Catholic friends do it, but Christians forever have done it. One of the oldest feasts, I mean, fasts that we have. And it was just a reflection and preparation heading into Easter. That we could, on our journey to Easter, we could re-experience God's gospel again in a way that is life-giving, convicting, challenging, and comforting. And just like Jesus went into the desert for 40 days before he began his ministry out in the desert, being tempted by Satan, the early followers took these 40 days, it's 44, but they like to just make things symbolic. And so they take these 40-ish days and uh, just pray. The three big spiritual practices were praying and fasting and giving to those in need, giving to the poor. In fact, when Jesus is talking to us about spiritual practices in Matthew chapter 6, those are the three he mentions giving first, then fasting, then praying, then giving again. Double emphasis on giving. And these were the three most important practices in Judaism, and it's just a, re, a time, again, where we just pay extra careful attention to doing that. So, so we're taking six weeks looking at hunger and the helpful lessons we can learn from our hunger, not just food again, all kinds of hungers, cravings, desires that we have. Today, I'd like to talk to us about milk. I told you my favorite food is cereal. This is the, this is the other best part. And also, I, let me unlock a core memory. Do you remember this from like 1984? Does a body good. We're talking about milk, and we're going to talk a lot about bodies today. In fact, my introduction is, is a little bit longer than normal, so I'll try to make the point shorter, but probably not. Again, talk to Jeff about that. He knows. And we're going to get into it. We're really going to dive into a passage uh, but what I need you to know is the early church, most of them, and then listen, I'm telling you something that's not settled. I'm telling you something that there was lively debate about. But by and large, the earliest and best followers of Jesus, the brightest and best of the early tradition, said that you are made up of three parts. They called it tripartite, if you want the fancy word, or trichotomy was a really nice, lovely word. And they are, we probably know them. What would you say they are? What? Spirit, body, soul. Yes, that's the right answer. Some people say mind, body, soul. Acceptable. We'll take it. 
They said we were made up of mind, I mean, spirit, body, and soul. Here they are, body, soul, which, uh, let's get in the body. You know the body, the body. We got the body, the body. Uh, soul was, by the time we get to the New Testament, it had developed. Old Testament, New Testament have minor differences here. But by the time we get to the New Testament, it was you. It was your essence. It was your thoughts, your mind, your will, your heart for Jews. The seat of emotion was, uh, and the seat of thought was in the heart and the gut. They did a lot of, uh, there was a lot more gut language going on then. And so it's the you behind the you. So if I said something like, I am James and this is my body, the question is, who's the I and who's the my? Who's that person talking about this bag of flesh and bones, right? That's the soul. It's your, your core identity that comes out of your thoughts and minds and emotions and wills. And they called that soul. We think of it as the little ghost that hangs out underneath our skin, right? Is that what we're in? That when you die, it just like slips out? We've seen the cartoons. That's not what they mean by that. They mean by you, the you, 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 you. And then spirit. This is the empowering life of God in us. And this is by which, this is the, the part of us by which we commune with God. This is life, God's life-giving power. And this is the way in which we commune with God. And they really did see it as a whole. In fact, in the Old Testament, soul meant whole. It was all of you. It was all the parts of you. Is all the parts of you. Some verses just to back up this idea, just so we can bring God's word into this discussion. Genesis 2, God creates humans. First man forms them out of dust. They saw that as the body part. And then breathe into his nostrils. That's the life-giving, empowering spirit of God. And then it says, and then, and then man became a living soul. Nefesh is the Hebrew word. You became a thing. Later, Paul talks to us and says, May your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at, at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming. The one who uh, is calling you is faithful and will do this. He mentions it. Spirit, soul, body. Your body, the you behind the you, and the way that you commune with God. To make this trickier, they would say that anything that was alive really had some of God's spirit. Even they would say probably animals. But what happens when Jesus comes and then Jesus ascends is then believers get a double dose of spirit. We get Holy Spirit too. And so not only do we have our living, empowered spirit from God breathed into our nostrils, but now we have the Holy Spirit working in cohabitation and cooperation with that living spirit. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you get double dose. You're double dipping on the spirit side, which is wonderful. But because they believed that there was these three parts of us, the church, scripture, God's word tells us that you can live too much into one part of these. And I'm going to take a little bit look at that. If you want to bring out your Bible, it's on page 871. We're going to read a couple paragraphs from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, a very carnal church. There was a lot of sexual immorality going on in this church. He needed to curb some of that. He'd be like, hey, can you guys stop going to orgies? And they're like, I guess, right? Like that's the kind of, that's the level 
of stuff going on in this church. There was incest going on with important members of the church. And so he had to write this letter to this Corinthian church and say, hey. And uh, he wants to talk about people, the ways in which we live into the parts of our body. So 210-871. I have it on the screen too, and then we're going to go through it again. So let's go rather quickly. Paul says, God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit, because the Spirit searches everything, including the depths of God. Who knows a person's depth, your own depth, except their own spirit that lives in them? In the same way, no one has known the depths of God except God's Spirit. We haven't the world's Spirit, but God's Spirit, so that we can know the things given to us by God. These are the things we are talking about not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the Spirit. We are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. Class number one, spiritual people. But people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's Spirit. They're foolish to them, and they can't, under, can't be understood because they can, only comprehend, they can only be comprehended in a spiritual way. Spiritual people comprehend everything, but they themselves aren't understood by anyone. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who will advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. Three more verses. Brothers and sisters, I can't talk to you like spiritual people, but like unspiritual people, like babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink instead of solid food because you weren't up to it yet. Now you are still not up to it because you are still unspiritual. When jealousy and fighting exist between you, aren't you unspiritual and living by human standards? Let's get into it again. We got more to go. Thank you for reading that with me. The word of the Lord for us. Spirit, body, soul. But he says there's ways in which we can live into these parts that are unhelpful. It's disordered. It's out of balance, out of whack. And, and the words that he's using that I need to show you, it, it, just in the Greek, just to help you, if you like this stuff, don't tune out for the next three minutes if you don't. Body is the word sarks or sark or soma. We know these words. We know the word sarcastic. Sarcastic. When someone's sarcastic, it means to tear the flesh. That's what you're doing. You're trying to tear the flesh. Or we know the word soma. Maybe you know big words like psychosomatic. That's like if there's stuff going up in, in here, sometimes it comes out in your body. The word soul, suke, we know this word, psychology, right? Or psychic, but not really, they don't work. But suke, for sure, right? Psychology, the soul. And then the last one is pneuma, spirit, pneuma. The P is silent, like pterodactyl. <laughs> Those are the only two times I know. Pneumonia, yeah, three. Same word, pneumonia. It's about the breath, the spirit. So Paul, without reading it all again, I just want you to see over and over again, he says, Spirit, we learn stuff by the Spirit. The Spirit's talking to us. This is the way we comprehend stuff, and people that don't, aren't spiritual people don't get it, right? And so he says, we are interpreting spiritual things, pneumatikos, to spiritual people, pneumatikois. This is one of the first classifications, spiritual people. You can live into your spiritualness in such a way that it helps you comprehend everything, but it makes you uncomprehendable by everyone. Doesn't that sound true about following Jesus? Just sometimes the world doesn't get it. And he says, but there's people who are unspiritual, and he calls those sukikos. These are soul people, 
soulish people. They live in their souls. Remember, that's mind and emotions. That's good. You want to be there, but you don't want to stay there because knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes us arrogant. And that's what happens to the soul people. They don't accept the things from God's spirit because it's foolishness to them and they can't understand it. They don't have God's spirit to help them understand the spiritual things so they can't become spiritual people, right? Only stuff can be comprehended by spiritual, in a spiritual way. Spiritual people, there again, you got two classifications, soul people, spiritual people. We, now that we are in Jesus, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Then he goes on to a third classification. And he says, but brothers and sisters, I can't even talk to you like any of those two. Certainly not like spiritual people, pneumatikos, but like unspiritual people, this word is sarkinois. Sark, flesh, body. Your body people. Remember I told you they have all these issues with their bodies in this church. I can't even talk to you like spiritual people because you're body people. Babies. I tried to give you milk. You didn't want it. So you're stuck. You're stuck in your bodiness. You're overbodied. And I know it's true, he says, because when jealousy and fighting exist between you, that's, that's a classic example of just being too much body, an overemphasis on body. You won't accept the spiritual things. You just want to live in your body and live by human standards. Weird stuff going on here. Stuff you might miss if you're not reading carefully. It's, it's mysterious. It's talking about spirit. I just wanted to give you some backstory on this. The three tripartite parts of us that we can really live into and overemphasize. We can become body people. We can become mind people or soul people. Or ultimately, Paul's hope for us is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will step into our spirit peopleness. I know all these words make sense right now, but if I would have said them to you yesterday, they did not make sense. I'm glad we're all on the same page. We just created new language today. Spirit peopleness. You're like, yeah, that makes total sense. Yep, 100%. Bad news, as always, we're basically bodies, people. All of us. Not all of you, but our whole society. It, it is geared towards the body. And the one you feed the most gets the strongest. And so we got this spirit, soul, body, but our whole culture is geared towards this. Right? Just, that might be too big on spirit, to be honest, but just a lot of bodiness going on in our, in our culture and everything is geared towards body. Most things, I said. I said everything out loud. What I really meant to say was most things. That gives me an out later when someone wants to challenge me. I said most. I said most. I said everything, but I meant most things. Beauty industry. Just body all the time coming at you. I was going to show this wonderful commercial from Dove. Dove used to have this great campaign on beauty. It was too risque for church. I was going to get in trouble. Even though I know you all see it all the time everywhere. You don't even try to stop seeing it. But if I showed it, we're going to get in trouble. Beauty industry. Y'all are going to cancel me. <laughs> Fashion models. You just pushed all the time. It's not even real. It's photoshopped. All of it. I mean, they're beautiful people, but the reason you don't look like a fashion model is because you're not a fashion model. And you don't have a computer adjusting your every image all the time. Right? The same reason you don't have an Olympian's body. You're not an Olympian. 
What are you going to say? Men, this, I, you know, this seems like I'm picking on women. This seems to be women's realm. We got it too. You don't need this much. Variety. And these names, swagger, bear's glove. I don't even know what that smells like. And, and heaven, heaven for, by the way, I own all these. Listen. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching, we're preaching with each other. And heaven forbid your body smell. It does, right? It smells. But we've created a society where we cannot smell. Oh, my goodness. That would just be the worst thing that ever happened. And all that hair that grows on your body, your legs and your armpits and your chin, you better just take a metal blade and scrape it off. The good Lord was like, here, here's some, like, warmth and... <laughs> bug protection. And we're like, nope, 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 nope. Ungrateful. We're just obsessed with our bodies and the way that our society makes us think about our bodies over and over. The way burping and farting, you have to do it, but you can't. You can't. Now you're going to spend the rest of the time here just like trying to hold it all in. Your body, you're just constantly being, having to think about your body this poor woman, they're like, look, her teeth are a shade whiter. Her teeth look fine. Teeth are tools. They're supposed to work. Go to the dentist, make them healthy. But why is it a beauty standard? Now I got to worry. I drink coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. Listen, they're going to be off white, everybody. I hope you're chill with that. This poor woman, they trotted her out. Her, by the way, her skin's whiter too, somehow. And she's wearing different clothes. I don't know what happened to this poor woman bodies all the time. Half of the reason I have the jobs that I do is I'm trying to get health insurance for my body, right? Body. Last one. This is smart and final Chipotle. Everything in here is about your body. Food, food, clothes, food, tools, because your body's too weak to do the thing that you need to do. You need to augment your body. Men, Complain about your wife's makeup. They're trying to augment their bodies. And you're out here buying tools all the time. This is your makeup. Get good. Get strong. Just get stronger. Just kidding. Mattress. Body. I've never seen a single human being in that store. Is it a, yeah, right. That's where I'm going next. Has anybody ever seen anyone in there? I think it's a front. I don't know what they're selling. There's a gym over here, a big one. Wendy's, I think cell phone, maybe you can make, oh, great clips, definitely our hair, and then uh, my, my haircuts are $30 every two weeks, I'm thinking about being a monk, shaving it or letting it grow out, so if you let that, I can't afford that, bodies, our society is geared towards bodies, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about being body people, they're too embodied in a negative way, their body is way out of whack from the other parts of them, aren't you exhausted, with the body. I gotta crimp it, clean it, wipe it, comb it all the time. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And if you don't, people look at you and judge you. And Martin Luther, 1500s. Augustine, if you're fancy, it's Augustine, in the 400s. One of their de big definitions for sin was this Latin phrase, incurvatus inse. Sin is a turning in on ourself. And this is what we've done. 
in our overbodied culture, we've turned in on ourselves, literally navel-gazing, right? Like the person at the Grand Canyon who just posted the picture looking at their likes more than they're looking at that, right? We're meant to live upward and outward, but we have, in through a broken world and our own sinfulness, turned in on ourselves, and in our culture that has exacerbated its way into an overbodied living. And we, deep down in our souls, like Paul in Romans 7, we just cry out, wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we have some hope. So this season, talking about our hunger, it's really about trying to take a break from giving body all the attention because you're made up of three parts and those other parts are important. And Paul's argument in Corinthians is that if you can step into that spiritual self, it's going to realign everything. That's the good news. As always here, head, heart, hand, something for us to know, feel, and do. I ask these questions every time. Three points for us. What does God want us to know? This information, this theme, this passage, following our hunger helps us become a spiritual person. Allowing ourselves to be hungry from TV, hungry from being constantly inundated with phones or news or politics or food or kids' sports. Guys, I signed my kid up. It's four days a week. He's seven. I'm already, I'm, he's like, I want to go. I'm like, can we quit? It's like, uh, one, huh? Paul says, right, we, we haven't received the world's spirit, but God's spirit, so that we can know, hey, the things that God has given to us. We are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. Hear me. We are not forsaking our minds, our soul, our body. We are trying to make everything in the right priority. That's the goal here. This isn't self-flagellation. This isn't you trying to hurt yourself. This isn't you trying to deny real parts of your humanity, your emotions for sure. We're not denying these. We're not denying your thoughts. We're not denying the soul and the body. We're trying to make sure we put it in the right perspective, right? Paul says, may all of it, spirit, soul, body, be preserved, kept intact, and blameless. You're just trying to get it in the right order. If you can become more into your spiritual self, you can make it all in the right order through the power and help of the Holy Spirit. I've been thinking a lot about chocolate. I haven't had it in about 15 days. So obviously I'm, you know, the saddest human being on the planet. It reminded me of Willy Wonka. A lot of body people here, right? We got gluttony. We got wealth. This kid was violent. He was like, man, I can't wait till the real killing starts. Hopefully I can get my Colt 45 soon, right? He was just violent. I forget. Whatever. Chewer. I forget her thing. But we got maybe someone a little, uh, Willy Wonka takes them through this nightmare of a factory where you think all these kids are dead at the end of it. And the whole thing was a test. And one of the last tests was this guy, Slugsworth. He, want, he supposedly owned another competing factory, and he wanted the everlasting gobstopper. And so all the kids were given one, and Willy Wonka was just testing them to see what uh, they would do. Who could he trust? I got a minute and a half video clip of the end. It, this, it's 1971. If you haven't seen it by now, my sincerest apologies. 
take a look at um, the end of this. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Come on, Charlie. Let's get out of here. I'll get even with him if it's the last thing I ever do. Slugworth wants a gobstopper. He'll get one. Mr. Wonka? So shines a good deed in a weary world. Charlie. My boy. You won! You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Oh, Charlie. Forgive me for putting you through this. Please, forgive me. I had to test you, Charlie, and you passed the test. You won! What? what? The jackpot, my dear sir. The grand and glorious jackpot. The chocolate? The chocolate, yes, the chocolate. But that's just the beginning. Yeah. How does that not make you feel good? This is an important point to me, and it may not be as important to you, but I just really want to drive home that I'm, I'm not some religious guy up here saying that you can't have fun and you need to shut off those parts of your body and soul that just, I, I, because I believe that. I believe that for a long time, that to die to self, as Jesus calls us to, means to cut off fun, shut off emotions, uh, you know, shut it down. And now I've been in therapy for long enough to know that, like, I maybe. I might have been wrong about that. I really ultimately do see Scripture encouraging us to find right priority, not to deny two-thirds of our existence, that your emotions are incredibly valuable. God put them there. But we don't commune with God primarily there because our emotions are roller coasters, right? But they are important indicators of what's going on in our life, and our body is an important indicator of what's going on in our life. I just want you to hear that we need to become a spiritual person. And when we become a spiritual person, we get all three in right order. You do get to have fun. And you do get to step into healed and whole emotions and a healed and whole body and a healed and whole soul. And so it isn't to deny, it's to reprioritize by the help of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So when we take time to be hungry, I think it helps us realign what's going on uh, with all three parts of us. What does God want us to feel? What does God want us to feel? The following our hunger helps us learn to long for the Lord's food again. Paul says, I tried to give you milk, but you wouldn't do it. You're unspiritual. You're body people. First Peter, Peter, number one apostle of Jesus, tells us later, desire the pure milk of the word, because when you're nursed by it, you will grow into salvation because you've tasted the Lord and you've tasted that the Lord is good part of being hungry again is remembering the goodness of God and learning to long for the milk again and not rejecting it like the Corinthians did because you're oversaturated in your body. 
like my kids. You've never met anyone more starving in their whole life than 3.30, 4.30 p.m., a half hour before dinner time. Can we have snacks? They wear you down. They're like, Dad, they start off with just like, can I have the whole box of fruit snacks? And you're like, no. And they're like, what about an apple? And I'm like, yeah. They love and logic me. They gave me choices. And I was like, apple sounds great. You want some peanut butter? That's better than a whole box of fruit snacks. And then I make dinner and they don't eat it. And I make good food. Look, this is my Christmas ham sandwich, my spatchcock chicken, my ribs, just my regular old, that's some rice cauliflower, some, you know, taco soup. It's good. And they just sit there and they're like, no thanks. I don't want it. I offered them food. They didn't want it. They're oversaturated from the apples and the chips. I hear them sneaking. They think they sneaky. Huh. This is us, oversaturated, before we get to the meal. In fact, I read a quote this week from uh, Aaron Damiani, the good of giving up, an Anglican priest back east, and he's got this great book on Lent. A quote from him, he goes, Why then do we feel so awkward and half-hearted on Easter Sunday? In many cases, it's because our imaginations have been malnourished along the way to Resurrection Sunday. We've been secretly snacking on lesser stories, such as politics or our child's athletic success. In theory, the gospel is compelling, but in reality, we would rather pay attention to whatever Netflix is offering. We are so full on the junk food of our culture that we cannot metabolize the feast on our Easter plates. Being hungry helps us to desire the pure milk of the world. I mean, of the world. Word. Word. Not worlds. Following our hunger helps us remember our experiences with Jesus and rediscover our longing for the pure, nourishing food of Jesus. That's one of the encouragements of getting out of our body to rediscover that desire. Lastly, what does God want us to do with our hands? It just, as always, I know I bring this up regularly, but following our hunger helps us walk in the Spirit. Remember I told you, we have spirit, but when we start following Jesus, we get Holy Spirit. And the encouragement all throughout Scripture is to walk with, by, through the Spirit. Paul says we haven't received the world's Spirit, but God's Spirit, so that we can know things that are given to us. Jesus tells us this in this really mysterious passage in John chapter 4. He says, God is Spirit. And it is necessary to worship God in Spirit and truth. I think the stuff we've been talking about today is stuff that this, this at least helps us understand what Jesus is saying here. That we commune with God with our spiritual selves. Everyone was so focused on the knowledge and the body and what you're supposed to do with your bodies and your knowledge. And Jesus took it to another level. We've got to step up into our spiritual self. But ultimately, Paul tells us in Galatians, walk in the spirit and you won't carry out the selfish desires. Walk in the Spirit. This is the antidote to all the evil in your life and in the world is learning to walk by the Holy Spirit. Learning to walk by the Holy Spirit. I read an article this week about this guy named Chen Si. He walks across this giant bridge in China every weekend because it's the number one spot for suicides in the world, they say. And... Ages 15 to 35, suicide is the number one killer of Chinese uh, in the country. And so he walks the bridge trying to, 
trying to save people. They call him the angel of Nanjing. And uh, so he just goes up and grabs people. And to date, to his knowledge, he's, he's saved about 412 people. Um, but he says it's been 18 years he does this. And he'll tell you it's by the time he borrowed from his own family, his wife and kids. But just trying to be helpful. And he says the hardest ones were the ones that he couldn't save. Right. But the question he always gets is how do you know who is doing this? How do you know who's getting ready to take their own life? And his quote is, he says, it's a job that, uh, oh, this is the article. It is a job that has required him to become a detective looking for clues in the souls of strangers. He says, it's very easy to recognize. Uh, a person, it's a person who walks without spirit. That's what he said. 